the the look of undisputed truth back then with the you know you guys got into the the wild wigs and the paint and all that and and also some of the sound you know i think there's no one that sounded as much like um funkadelic as undisputed truth so talk about the look the concept of that and also the great band that you guys had okay okay I mean, um, concept in band one. Let me go get these guys in the band because I mean, we just went into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. And um, I, uh, when the guy was talking to me about the names for the people, I put every name of everybody that went out with me and, and spent time with us and recorded with us. He said, "No, the group." I said, "I didn't do this by myself." And my my music, my, my musicians that were with uh, Undisputed Truth are all prominent to me. But I mean, I can start naming folks like Melvin Wawa Watson, Ricky Lawson, uh, 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 Melvin Stewart. Uh, I, I can name. I mean, all these guys. A lot of these guys came to were inducted into the Hall of Fame with me. And a lot of the other groups, you know, they they looked and they felt. Real man, why you bring us? Because I mean, look, I don't fall out with people, you know, and then don't give them they do. I could you take this person out of this, this didn't happen, and I couldn't be here right now. So I share it with everybody. And just like when we're talking today, we all it's an equal situation because it can't be anything unless the folks that are here doing unless we're doing it together and making it work. Why? Why was there so much changeover in the in the other singers? Personnel problems. Uh, uh, one thing that when we uh, put the, the the very first group of people that I used were a group called the Magic Tones. We had a girl. They were actually the Magic Tones were some stablemates with me from my D time era with the Peps. But at that time they had it was an all male group. They had. When we got to Detroit, they had did some background for the Temptations for Norman before, and you, you know, you, sometimes you you hear backgrounds and you think that's the Temps. It may be some other folks. And let's say, for instance, if Richard, Paul, and and Eddie uh, or, or David were singing, they would put their voices on their track, their background parts on the track with their voices. But their voices would be morphed in with those other folks that normally use them because he didn't have all the temptations. It's like I went to a session with the four tops and my girls were there with Duke and and uh and, and uh Lena. All the four tops weren't there. Sea Waters run deep was one of those songs. You know, where all of them went there. And I mean that was the old Motown thing. You know, a lot of the songs other folks did the backgrounds to them. You know, we we sang on all our things. We never did a a, a session that was kept in the can. Hmm. And at, at one point, you even had Chaka Khan's sister, right? She was Chaka Boom was on uh, You Plus Me. That was why you saw the different concepts, because I mean, that very that original concept was 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 because everything was because of the person there, uh, and. And in those days, everything was about your lay, your latest CD or album. So we can always go back and pick and choose some of the 
um, Smiling Faces was going to always be there, and Papa Was a Rolling Stone was going to always be there. Uh, so we would pick and choose the songs from the past and feature all the things in the album with the new people that we were doing. Then. So we made a few changes because that first group came as a group. When they, when they split up, you know, with, with the problems that they were having amongst themselves, two of the guys stayed with me and we got uh, Shaka Sosita. And that became that uh, cosmic truth. That's when we went into the other look. You know, that was that instead of just coming out with another group, we changed the whole concept and the look all at the same time, which was money wise was one of the biggest, <laughs> the biggest concepts that I've ever had made more money doing that than any any of the other concepts. I was doing the town of Kiss and we were supposed to do a thing in L.A. at the club on Santa Monica. Um, Senior, senior moment. Uh, Santa Monica Civic? No, no, right on Santa Monica and uh, 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 Lower Canyon. Uh, 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 Crescent Heights. Okay. You go around the curb, go around the curb, the donut places across the street, and the shoe store. And there's a great big club that looked like a looked like it's encased with a big wall around it. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name it used to be called because I'm just having a, a a senior moment. You know, I've been doing this so fifty-seven years. <laughs> so I mean, and then I was, I was thinking about so many. Somebody was mentioning some clubs and things. I mean, with South Carolina, I was like, the Ghana's. You played there? I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> many times. You know, I said James Brown came in there. That's where we ran into James Brown. We had knew him from from the Ohio. Uh, Untouchables playing behind him a couple of times in the round date. And uh, so we had met him at Robert Ward's house. But he came to this club we were playing in and wanted us to be the uh, flames for some dates he had. We couldn't get out of the dates. And then we talked about it. We didn't want to do that. You know, because he promised us maybe, a, maybe this could be permanent if y'all work out. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be in a situation where. I'm coming in and somebody going out for whatever reason. You know, um, I don't want to, I, first of all, I didn't want to, that vibe. And that wasn't what we were trying to do. You know, because I asked him, I said, well, what about uh, 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 Bobby Bird? Is Bobby Bird going to be with me forever. And I'm like, I was down with that. I love Bobby Bird, you know. But then there's other guys you, you never knew who they were in the flames. You know, and I didn't want to just be a prop. You know, and all right. So you guys played this uh, club in uh, Hollywood area. It's almost coming to me. Yeah, but okay. We played this club in. You don't need the name. You just can tell the story. Uh, and um, uh, we 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 uh, uh, we had so many people. People were sitting up from the front of the club all the way around the corner going up Crescent Heights, just off of Santa Monica. They, was, they sat there all, you know how they do, they sat there all night to get in that club that next night. I mean, they was there all night. And me and Norman was riding down there, he was like, look like y'all might, and that's when we was wearing those wigs and things. When we first came out with those wigs, Eddie Kendricks was playing at the, uh, at the uh, club over there on, in Crenshaw. 
uh, and uh, we were going to that club. This was the first time people seen us outside the record or the album with that makeup and stuff on. And we got out the car at the liquor store parking lot right there behind uh, uh, on uh, Stalker and um, Crenshaw and walked to the Total Experience from there in makeup. Just, you know, just 8.30, something before, while people getting ready to go out, and you, <laughs> holy stop, this twice where we got there, so y'all messing up everything, traffic is jammed up there, the people didn't know, and we went on in that club, we came in the club, I mean, and Eddie Kendricks came out on the stage, and when they called him out there, he was like, I didn't, he said, I seen y'all, he said, but I didn't, he didn't know who we were, this first time we were in Lake and uh, it had such an impact. I mean, that this is with Taka. It has, now this was before Taka. We had such an impact that <clears throat> every time we performed, people came to see us in that, in that God. The whole, our whole demographic change, it was mostly white. Mm -hmm. Well, you know how California is. I mean, this was, their, this was their club. And then when we went into the, uh, uh, Troubadour with it with Junior Walker. I mean that was that was it. I mean we got over in the Troubadour. That was that was it for us. You know, I was like, wow. I a lot of money. Lot, I mean I, the, the only the the, the the most successful year that we had was with the Jackson Five. We traveled with the Jackson Five for that um summer six uh, seventy two tour. 90 days i mean that was i don't even want to say it, it was God. i mean but that was uh I, I i have a hard time trying i don't even have to think hard for trying to find anything that topped those 90 days with the jackson five at that particular time joe jackson i don't know you know what nobody said but that guy i mean what he did and how he had that group together and that tight you know, people would think that, you know, Michael and, and his talent, but Michael was always inquisitive. I mean, even after he got big, he would call me and my partner and we would talk, he'd ask me about a lot of folks and a lot of things and stuff in the business. And, he, and, and he'd tell me why he asked me. He said, you know, when we, we was traveling together, he used to sit in our, in the, in the, in the hotel's room and we'd sit him and Randy, this was Randy's first year out, and talk all, all the, you know, and then they'd go out on the road, we'd go out. And that was the only time we'd get a chance to to really be with them because other than that, they were always surrounded with, with uh, security. You know, so when we're in the hotel, when we're all on the same floor, the two adjoining floors, you know, we get a chance to mix and mingle and talk. And, uh, <clears throat> whoa, what, what, I mean, what a wonderful world show business is when it's right. You know, when everything is right. I mean, before we started touring with the, the Jackson Five, Norman and I went to two shows that the Jackson Five did, and both of the shows at that time, when whoever opened for them, the people in the audience would be saying all the while they on the stage, "We want the Jackson Five, we want the crowd." Like Lord, have mercy, Norman said, "Can you handle that?" He said, "This is what you fix me. Can you handle that?" I was like, "Okay, I had to think. I had to figure out." What was going to be our hook opening for the Jackson Five? I wasn't going to try to 
you know, I mean, the demographic of the all Jackson Five. So we, I put a band together. That was, that's the band that's playing on the Temptations version of, of Papa was Rolling Stone. Unless he got some of the Funk Brothers in there, because Norman went and opened up and did some other things in there. But that's that's my band playing on the Temptations version of Papa was a Rolling Stone when it turned into Papa was a Rolling Stone, and uh, that band live. See, you know, at that time the Jackson Five had the little family band. We had these guys, Paul Warren on the white boy with white guitar, it's guitarist, and Robert Ward was was uh, is I mean, is the quintessential guitar player, and I had both of them and another guitar player, three and Wawa, four guitar players on that on that tour. So you can imagine that I mean the power and I mean, and all these guys are creative and in, in, in visual, you know. So the Jackson Five would always be back on the side of the stage when we on the stage watching the show. We be hearing all the screaming and hollering. We think they holler if we look over there in the Jackson Five. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know. But the folks weren't booing. They weren't trying to get us off of there. You know, so they, you know, they really, because Wawa did a lot of, Wawa got gold and platinum albums with Michael. You know, Michael used Wawa, uh, especially in that Off the Wall album, you know, and so he was always immersed about our band. And that's what he got that in his head. He said, I saw that band. He said that band was the difference. He was, I wish we had that band. We just got Jermaine and, and the good drummer and the keyboard player. We, we had to go on with that big ass band. I mean, all these good guitar players and moving around and singing and, and doing almost uh, pre uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire kind of vibe, but just rhythm. All rhythm. It was just all rhythm. And Norman had it tight. I mean, they're playing his tracks. So, you know, he had it. Tight, <laughs> you know. We had to do was go sing to it, and uh, and that worked for ninety days. We didn't have to change nothing. Ninety days. I mean, all over the country. Ended in Hawaii. We came out of Hawaii and went to the L.A. That's the first time we, as a group, we went to L.A. and recorded that before we moved there. We did uh, uh, "The Girl You All Right," a song that Clay McMurray wrote and produced. Well, Joe and. Well, Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, uh, so, so in that cosmic uh, period with the, with the wigs and the look and everything, pretty impressive, pretty impressive that you could stand out in Hollywood. You know, so you know you, that's why I said it to you. Said you lived there, so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to actually mention uh, the names of the albums because you know, for uh, folks that like fun, some and some people, they might be sort of uh, gems for people, you know, because um, it was a while ago. And, uh, you know, they know the hit, uh, You Plus Me, but they might not know these albums like Cosmic Truth and Higher Than High and Method to the Madness and Smoking. I, you know, urge people, if they haven't heard them, to go seek them out because there's a lot of great music on those. I mean, the two new girls, the two, well, they've been together for almost 10 years now. And they, they was confessing, when they, Brenda was coming in, they were confessing that, you know, they wanted to listen to the repertoire and they started listening to some things and some some of the comments and the things, they was like, wow. You know, uh, we and one of the girls was saying, well, you know, it's very hard to concept. I said, because you're looking at a bunch of concepts. You can't judge the music, but when you put, the, put your head in the frame of got to get my hands on some loving, 
and got this big in a hurry and all these rock sounds. See, Norman wanted to, Norman had a friend who was uh, managing Led Zeppelin. Hmm. So when we started going into the rock thing, he was using us to, to, to go into it because he knew he had seen me do rock in the 20 grand before. I mean, I did a couple of songs that had rock over time. And um, so when we got in the studio, he was just loving it, you know, and when we got in front of those crowds with them guitars swinging and nah, 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 nah. and then at first we had Rose Royce playing. If you ever see us on uh, in concert with Taka and one without Taka on uh, on YouTube with Rose Royce playing, they got uh, they got veils over their heads. You can see them back there, but you don't see nobody faces. It look like a, a spider face with a bunch of eyes because it's veils over them because we was just be, we didn't want to we didn't want to expose them before. The movie came out and they were going to be rose royce yeah. they was under speed truth band we, that was one of the george clinton tricks that we was trying to get away from you know they said well undisputed truth and rose royce is the same thing well norman didn't want to get into that he didn't want to have a conversation he said all this is normal with you and and and, and, my, and when george clinton used to play and then they lived in detroit they was part of that after they, after uh, I want to testify, they came to Detroit. In fact, George was here once before as a writer for Motown, so they moved to Detroit. So they was a part of all this, all this conglomeration, and where the funk really from Detroit started really taking a big muck and a big muscle, you know, George Clinton. Detroit so, Sound. Detroit Sound. See, because I mean, you had those bass players here and those fat drummers. George could really get what he needed here, you know, and um, it's still here. Just, it's just, there's just that, not that place where everybody can go and you can say, okay, okay, okay. You're like, um, uh, if you ever remember the, uh, what was it, uh, 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 57 Broadway, that, that, remember the place in Broadway where the writers used to go to the, 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 the real building or whatever the building right, is? Yeah, yeah, Carol and, King, uh, all them. Yeah, you can go in there and you can listen and see all those folks in there. You do that in Detroit, you're going to earn it. It's a gold mine of talent. Barry came here a few months back. They were doing the Motown play. And they were changing, getting ready to change uh, 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 the, the cast. And they had an open casting call here. And I sat here and watched a lot of it on TV. And uh, the news happened to catch this little kid who was auditioning for Michael Jackson. I saw why the news got him because he was tired. And and at the end of the day, Barry took him home straight from here. He went to audition. I'm taking you going, get your his mama with him. We're going to LA. <laughs> he took him out of here. So I mean, and he said it many times. He said, Look, I left and I didn't. He said, he said, he said, I never had a year here to just that I couldn't find some new town. He said the problem wasn't finding it in Detroit. He said, I started getting it from here and there and putting it all in there and then at one point in time he said i really had too much mm. he said one of the things that you know that you know and people hate you know when you got a lot of folks in there and a big uh conglomerate of, of a lot of other folks and they never get a chance to be heard i'm hearing some things now that were recorded way back then i was like damn that wasn't released how you gonna get it where you gonna where you where was you gonna release it i mean Motown had changed all them labels so that they can get all them songs out there, and you know you can't do no more than that. 
you know, you're getting Gordy, Pamela, Motown. So all those different labels had hits on them. You know, talent. Still here. So, Joe, why did Undisputed Truth uh, end its run? And um, and I know you went on, among the other things you did afterwards, you did some uh, vocals with George Clinton. And um, can you talk about why the group ended and, and what happened after? Um, the end came when um, um, all the black record companies were going down. We were we went after we, we were we were about the last major black record company to go down. Uh, Asley Brothers, when Asley Brothers went down, Norman told me say they shutting us all down, shutting down. No more black record companies. Too much competition. And those we, and, and a lot of us think today that those were the reasons why all our top black artists are gay. When you don't have those folks and get somebody to create an entity and say, this is what I'm doing. It's going to be all black. I'm going to do a rhythm and blues thing with black. Then one from more black record companies. Because first of all, um, um, none of us had dis distribution. So the only thing it could be was a production company. And your distribution deals have to go through the major white companies. So you never get the independence that you're looking for because you 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 at bay for whatever it is going to cost you to do your business that way. Now I know Prince was trying to do some things that may have been part of what happened with him. I know Michael talked about talked about trying to do something. The only thing that was the 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 stopgap was the distribution. The gangsters always owned the distributions and they became legit. You can't get around it. Now you going you can't you can't even get on the radio. They own the radios. So you don't hear no new music. They would say, well, we'd rather go and and they recorded it to a to a certain extent because they didn't want it falling over into their countries. They always thought it was just gonna be over there and then it turned into something to another thing that they can't control. The artists are more like get killed, go to jail, and, and just it's just look for more of the negative than the positive. You found more positive in the eras from the early fifties and sixties and seventies, and then after the, when that when all that stuff started, it was always about some drama. Always, and then it got into the to the the. Holes and the and the, and the money and the chains and all of that it got off. It just went everywhere. Drugs and all of that kind of stuff. And and, the, and to your question, that was we knew what, what Norman told us that we he knew belonged. And then he had a problem with Mot with Warner Brothers. Uh, uh, Norman had deals with Warner Brothers and uh, MCA, and for some reason he felt like that one was doing better than the other on purpose. One was not, was just slighting him. And it got down to some petty stuff about a check, big check that they sent Norman. And twice they sent him this check and he went to the bank and they wouldn't cash it. The first time was because it had one signature which required two. But they was doing that because Norman had pressed somebody and then they going through the motions and uh, uh, somebody didn't get another signature on that check and they got to Norman 
he sent somebody to the bank with it and they sent it back. So Norman sent somebody over there to fix it. Somebody put a stop on the check, thinking that they was gonna write another check. They went, he just went over there and got the sig walked right into the signature, got the signature. So when they went back to recash it, then a stop put on it. He blew up. He blew up. He thought somebody was fucking with him. Some just simple mistakes. He went over there and went pushed in the president's with Mo Austin's office. I was with him. I turned around and saw um, security running from everywhere. I turned around and started walking out the building. Norman was, he was on fire. I mean, you heard a lot of motherfuckers and and you don't treat you motherfuckers. I ain't never treat. I gave y'all hit records and you don't just treat me like a nigga and all that kind of stuff, y'all. Over a goddamn $200,000 check. You know, um, so that put us, <clears throat> that put us out the door, you know, but we knew that, that they were shutting it all down. Somebody, uh, one of Norman's attorney friends had told him that that was the plan, they shutting down all of the black record companies. I mean, you know, major companies get together and they, they run the business, but they knew that the new era was coming, music was going to change. And they were already starting to make the change. You know, as soon as after that, you start hearing about Death Row, Snoop Dogg, and all those kind of things. You know, so it was in, it was in decline. And uh, <clears throat> what I did after we shut down, George Clinton was was performing in uh, Long Beach, and um, me and my partner went, went to the concert out there. And after the end of the show, George said, "Well." What you uh, what you doing? I said, well, um, Don Davis asked me to come back to Detroit to do some work for him. So I'm, he said, well, I'm gonna be in Detroit. I'm gonna be at United Sound. So we met up at United Sound. No, we didn't. When I got back, Don Davis made me a deal, and I um, uh, I had a, a, a part. I didn't run the whole studio. I I ran a, a production part in there. I was producing a bunch of acts for him and some folks that I was working with. So he let, gave me the autonomy to be able to do that, able to do that. Did a lot of produce, lot, produce a lot of folks for him. And George Clinton was in town doing some projects, but he wasn't there. I didn't know him and Don had a problem. So I was, after I do things for Don, I go over there and do some stuff with George. And, and um, uh, some kind of way that got back to Don and Don Davis's brother came to me, Will, and said, uh, look, you working, we heard you working with George Clinton. Tell George Clinton, we don't have no problem with him. He owe us. But if he's getting all these projects now, he can come back to United Sound instead of paying fresh money, pay on his bill. George ran over there. So we were in United Sound for 10 years, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Thomas Dolby, oldest day and we did so many folks so at one time in those 10 years when i was working we had 13 studios running at the same time all over the country projects george was doing and some of us would run to california and other florida tennessee places where george was working new york and and some of us was most of us stayed in detroit and went back and forth to uh, uh, california then we started getting film projects 
Then we did the Tracy Harmon show. I got an Emmy for that. The very first Tracy Harmon show, when that started, we did the opening of everybody on the floor standing on God getting ready for the show. Yeah. And uh, me and my partner did the snippets for the for the uh, Simpsons. You know, at the break of the show, they go, you see them going across, they're not saying anything. You hear that little, and that would be the thing. We, I mean, we lived five years off of doing the snippets for the Simpsons before they talk. I mean, that money was so regular and so huge. You know, I was like, shoot, I could do this, man. We just 30 seconds. They used 15 of it, or they take it and, and, and edit it to whatever it was that they wanted to do. We just submitted it. We got an Emmy every, for the Tracy Allman show, and we really fell out. Uh, a bunch of us fell out. With, with George after that because we never seen the fruits of that. We understand that one of the ladies told us about that they gave us a big uh, gift package, Jackson's and all that. We never seen none of that. Mm. I mean, it was all about the work, you know, and the folks that I was was working with at that particular time and everybody was home. You know, we were working on it. I was very familiar with television. From being in LA, like we were in Detroit. So I said, man, you don't take this lightly. I mean, this lady's fixing to get a TV show. And we're gonna and and they was begging for it. George went in town, he had left, we had started, and he went in town and he called us back and said, Look, they want that thing tomorrow. So y'all go in there and finish it. You know, and they don't want it mixed, just send it. So we went in and finished it up, tightened it up, <clears throat> and sent it out the next day. They didn't do no they they played it like they got. They didn't do no editing. They did raw funk. I mean, and it's, <laughs> I mean, it's bad. <laughs> it's on YouTube. It's tough. The intro to the Tracy Armstrong show. It is tough. And uh, and then we got those film parts, those film things. That was all. That was great. I mean, it was a lot of happiness and sadness because you know, doing all those things, we lost uh, quite a few of those folks. Uh, Jessica Cleage. I mean, we had some talented people. And working with us. I mean, George had a wild facade, but when it come to music and putting that putting that music together, he had a, he had a very similar type of uh, a concept that Norman did. Norman didn't rehearse anything. You got to really play it, and then it it started from there. All you need to hear is the beginning of the funk, and then you take it on the trip the way you want it to run. And. Uh, uh, Wow, that, that, that's just a great way to create, but it can't get expensive with the studio time. See, but you see, and then the thing about uh, George, when we were at United Sound, Don uh, and would give George the, the, the projects. You know, we'd be in there all day and all night. It wasn't, it wasn't even on time. But when you're getting paid, pay on your bill. He had a bill, and he paid on his bill. And even after I left, George was still there for a long time. So. That meant that as long as he paid, he was good. And every time he went into United Sound, he come out of there with a head. You know, so we did, we, I mean, we did a lot of, we spent a lot of hours with Michael Henderson, I mean, uh, uh, wide receiver, all those things we, we did at the name. In United Sound, George Clinton, we did some stuff with the dramatics. Oh, man, wow. That was the whole year. That's very cool stuff. So, yeah. so Joe, um, 
want to try to start winding this down. Fantastic stories, man. What an incredible life you've led. So thanks for sharing so much of that. What, what, are, you doing, what are you doing now? How can folks keep up with you? Keep up with me really basically now on Facebook. I'm a, I'll be, you know, anything that I have to say that would be, I wouldn't try to compete with the record company to keep the, uh, 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 the, the name of lab right now. We want to uh, smiling faces and all that era, just what it is. And we're not scared with the folks that we got and the new stuff is going to be funky that we're going to be coming with and, uh, and the concepts that we're going to be coming with, you know, at this particular point in time in our career. But Facebook is a, is a good way for you to keep up with us now. And uh, we're working on some things now to have another have other avenues. So we'll be, let, we'll be letting folks know from Facebook. Fantastic. Joe, thank you again for sharing so much time. Appreciate it. Great uh, talking to you and hearing those old stories. And wow. Um, yeah. hope, to do it, hope to do it again. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we, I mean, and that's what, you know, we was talking the other day, last yesterday about Unsung. And, and, and right, just talking to you, I mentioned Jameson and those Earl Van Dyke, and Amanda, it, those guys were so wonderful. Uh, uh, Will Jones, uh, Robert White, Eddie Willis, uh, uh, Johnny Griffin. Uh, I mean, it is, and, and, and people are, uh, have to realize that there were so many horn players that were funk brothers, you know, but you've got that rhythm, Jameson and all those guys, I mean, there's so many things and stories that I mean we live and can talk about. I mean, and, and seeing I see so many kids now, they was, you don't never talk about my dad. <laughs> so I'm, I hope some of these things I can ease some folks in there. It's just a lot of a lot of artists and things. You know, people say, man, you mentioned me. You know, I was back in that time. Like I just mentioned, Will Hatcher is picking me up now. We, we were stable mates way back in the Thelma and Mike Hanks days. And shit, he didn't grow up, and he did that. Uh, 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 working my way, one of those big hits with the spinners, and he called me and said, "Man, I got three hundred songs, man. I saw y'all on Facebook, and y'all getting back together. We need to talk." And see, I'm looking for all this because that's what we're gonna do here. McKinley Jackson, Clay McMurray, and a couple of other here. We're gonna bring the funk back to Michigan, to Detroit. We got. We're gonna create a funk factory in Detroit. It's here. They just don't people. I don't like to go in folks' houses to record. I don't like that. I just for some reason my creativity stopped at the front door. Mm -hmm. You know, you're at somebody's house. You know, I just I like to be in that room and know that everything in that room is about being creative. You know, not with somebody who's that on the picture over there. You know, you know that's the sign of the times. And all those things that I'm mentioning now aren't in Detroit for a particular reason. Because I mean, they shut down some guys here, Mike Powell. He had a great situation here, but shut down. You know, I mean, city city was dead for a long time, so it wasn't profitable for these guys that had these big rooms. You know, and you don't have a record company, no more record company budgets. See, so today it's all standalone, so you have to be able to afford it. New Detroit, that we're going to open another door. All right. Well, we'll look for that. We'll keep abreast of what's happening with Joe and, and hopefully we'll have you back on Truth and Rhythm again. Um, it's been a blast. Thank you so much. Um, I want to remind uh, viewers to you know keep in touch with us at funkinstuff.net and other episodes on YouTube. 
For now, on behalf of Joe Pep Harris, the legendary lead singer from Undisputed Truth, one of the great uh, funk and R&B bands of the 1970s and all the work he's done subsequent, this is Scott, Dr. J.X. Goldfine. And uh, on behalf of Joe, Joe, thank you again so much. Scott and everybody, thanks, man. It's my pleasure. I talk too much, and I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to do my usual closing, which is on uh, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. Gotcha.